Morning, everyone. Morning, 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 morning. I was wondering, you know, I was thinking, we always, used, we always joke, when the children go out, half the church goes out, and, um, because half the church are involved in children's work. Well, of course, half the church are not here today because they're doing children's work training. And then I thought, well, just me, me and Nathan. But actually, there's one or two other people here too, which is great. And I reckon that some of those people who went out might come back. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited now. No, I really am. No, no, I am. Yeah. So, wow. His praise will be our battle cry. I was sitting there um, and I noticed that one or two people near me weren't completely focused. In fact, perhaps the fact that I'd noticed others near me maybe showed that I wasn't completely focused on worship at the time. You know, when we're, when we're worshipping in that way, when we're actually articulating our prayer, when we're, when we're speaking out praise to him, there's a real battle that goes on inside each of us about where our attention's going to be. And that battle goes on in our children too. And um, realising that most of the parents are not here to, at the moment because their children are well, they're either taking children or whatever, but we need to encourage one another to help our children to find that place and ourselves find that place where our attention is more on him and less on other things. That battle goes on daily, but it's particularly, we're particularly aware of it, aren't we, when we're together and praising him. I'm still in Isaiah 61. Uh, that's where God's uh, left me for the last three months. And, um, and uh, I just wanted to, to pick up, really, today, uh, the theme that comes up in the last verses, which is the theme of restoration. And I believe that God, this is God's description he gave to the prophet Isaiah of Christ's mission, but we are Christ on earth. We are the body of Christ. So we are the ones who now pick up this ministry, this way of serving him. And um, I'm just going to read you the, just remind us where we came from. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim the freedom for captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a garment of despair, where they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Now that's where we've got up to. And there are different things that will have, I hope, spoken to you in what we've been looking at in those times. Towards the end, I want to give us a bit of time to just share, if there is anything, that, has sort of, that we want to take hold of and say, yep, that's something that I really needed to hear. But we're moving on now to pick up at verse 4 today. And um, Isaiah 61, verse 4, and this is the ongoing ministry of these oaks of righteousness. These guys will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated they will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Aliens will shepherd your flocks. 
and foreigners will work in your fields and vineyards, and you will be called priests of God. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and their riches. in their riches you will boast. Instead of shame, my people will receive a double portion, and instead of disgrace, they will rejoice in their inheritance. And so they will inherit a double portion in their land, and everlasting joy will be theirs. So what I wanted to do is I'm just going to pick up these things, these verses, and I'm going to see what God says to us. Um, and uh, as we go through, I don't entirely know exactly what I'm going to say, because I never do. And then occasionally people say, you said this, and I said, no, no, I never said that. That's, that wasn't on the script, and then I realised I have said it. But anyway, um, remember last time, particularly, I felt God was stirring us up about our ability and power that God gives us to choose. That you can never be painted into the corner by the enemy so that you have no choice about what you do. God's designed us in his image to always have a choice. That's why when he put us in the Garden of Eden in the first place and said, here you are, loads of stuff you can do. By the way, there's one thing you can't do, don't eat from that tree. He gave us that ability. Sounds like it's a restriction, isn't it? But actually what it was, it was there to say, look, here's something I want you to choose not to do. And that, that freedom to choose is there. He could have just put some big electric fence around it, you know, and said, don't go here. But actually what he did was he left it open and said, hey, this is a way I don't want you to walk in. That power, that power of choice is something that each of us has. And there's no corner that you can find yourself where you can't access that. And it's, it's the ability to choose to go his way. Now today we're picking up with verse 4, where it talks about the rebuilding of ancient ruins and restoring places long devastated. And, um, and I, when I think of ancient ruins uh, and uh, places long devastated, there's two kind of images came into my mind. One was like a slum, that black and white picture is supposed to be of a slum. I don't know whether it is. There's probably some rather more modern pictures of slums I could have found, but that's what I found. People get used to living in a mess, actually. Um, if, if you, if you uh, go around different people's houses, uh, but if you talk to people, I'm not talking about the physical mess. I, I live in a very tidy house, as you may know. Um, and, uh, but, but I'm not really thinking about that. I'm thinking about the way their lives are. You know, um, whether, whether they have uh, uh, stable relationships with others, whether they uh, forgive people, whether they are walking rightly, those things can be a huge mess that people get into and they create a slum that they can live in, a place where things are just not right. They don't have access to the things that the people of God have access to. And God's calling us to go into these places that people find themselves and to to draw them out to bring them into that place of provision that God has but these places are not new they're ancient Um, these places have forever been there one of the translations of that word is perpetual perpetual it's something that keeps on happening people get into a negative cycle where parents get messed up so their children get messed up, so the children who are children become parents who are messed up, so the children get messed up, so the parents get messed up, and so on and so on. 
And generation after generation is not expecting any hope. Generation after generation is not expecting to improve the world around them. And these perpetual cycles keep on going. But there are also places that have been laid waste and destroyed. And um, the other picture up there, who recognises what that's a picture of, the colour one? It's Corfe Castle. Now, do you know why Corfe Castle looks like Corfe Castle does? Well, it wasn't just that it was attacked. Once they got into it, they made it useless. So the guy, it, been, it was in the Civil War, and um, it was a royalist stronghold. And uh, basically, it, it was a really, really handy stronghold, well, a very, very key, significant point. And not only did they knock it down a bit when they were trying to get in, but once they got in, they undermined all the walls and put dynamite and stuff underneath them, so they blew up. And if you look at some of the walls in there, they're like this. They're completely useless. They're no longer fit for purpose. Um, it's part of this idea that you probably, those of you who have studied wars and things, it's a scorched earth idea, that you basically leave everything waste, So when an enemy retreats from an area, or when an enemy takes over an area, he makes whatever resources there are there totally useless and dysfunctional. So it means if if you're advancing like they were doing, um, you know, between Russia and Germany in the Second World War, then any crops got burnt, so the troops had nothing to eat. And the only way the troops could eat anything is you had to get your food to the front line, etc. History teachers can correct me later, but it's, it's called scorched earth. It seems to me that sometimes the enemy is a bit like that. He's leaving someone, but he leaves them in... The, the way into the kingdom is sometimes in their complete breakdown. So they seemed all right. <laughs> and, then, and then they come to a point of a real breakdown. And then they meet with the Lord. But our job is to help them in that process that when they've got to that place of realizing they've come to the end of themselves... And when the enemy has kind of tried to destroy everything that was there, God actually has a way of making good what remains. Because, and his way, uh, look at the person next to you and say, is you. His way of making things good is you. Because it says in the scripture that they will renew the, the uh, ruined cities that have been long devastated for generations. Guys, you and I are involved in this rebuilding. So even though... Uh, It might be that people we know, it looks like their lives have been totally ruined by the work of the enemy. God actually intends that we should be those that go in and help to rebuild it. Not in our own strength, but because of what God does in us, for the hope he's put in us, for the vision that he's given us beyond where we are now. And so, um, okay, this is a very serious slide. Okay, um, characteristics of good builders... God's, God's made us into being good builders, okay? And there's uh, uh, Neil the Builder, I think. I think. It's a new cartoon character, maybe coming out soon. Um, but um, I won't ask the congregation for advice on what characteristics of good builders are, because obviously I've got my own ideas. And I'll, obviously, so I'm just going to tell you what the answer is. But you might have some ideas. Well, what, what, all right. Okay. Alan, what would you, what would you look for in a builder? An ability to do the thing, right? Um, and um, that's right, we'd expect there to be skill, okay? Um, and uh, those skills, actually, um, a guy comes to uh, fix my plumbing and he turns up with a screwdriver. I'm going to look at him and go a bit, oh, hello, she come to fix my plumbing, have you? Oh, that's nice. Um, 
in other words, not only you need the skill, but you need, and you need the, the right tools for the right job. And God's given us gifts, skills, which speak into different situations. And God wants us to be accessing those right tools, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. God has put into each of us those gifts. So in some cases, they're pretty embryonic. That is to say, they haven't yet developed. But I believe that God wants us to be open to him open, starting those things off in us. And we'll come back to that in a minute. Um, you know, it, I think... Uh, I'm allowed to say this. I know someone in the church who's getting a new extension on the back of their house. And the reason why they're getting a new extension on the back of the house is the, the one that's there is no good. Or it's basically a bit dodge. It's been dodgy forever, but now they're having that taken down and a whole new extension put there. You know, sometimes we need to demolish what's there before building on top. It's no good papering over the cracks. That would be what I would do if I'm decorating a room, you know. In fact, we still have got a nice little... Yeah, anyway, we won't go there. Um, you know, God, God asks us to help people to, un, to get rid of those things which are not secure. There's a design. There's a plan. They see something that's not there. You know, if you're a builder but you can't see beyond what is in front of you, you're never going to build anything. You've got to imagine what the place is going to look like when you've finished your job. And um, here's the last one. We build using things that are going to outlast themselves. If it's a good structure, sound structure, we expect the thing to go beyond where we are. If, we, if what we're doing is, well, we've got this rather substandard bit of work, so what we'll do is we'll just put a little strut here, and then a week later, well, that, that, that strut it needs replacing because uh, it started bending over here now, so I'll, I'll put another one in. And we're constantly being called back to the same job. That's not really being a very good builder, is it? You know, we, we, what, what actually God wants us to be doing is to create something which is uh, and to help people be sound structure. So I'd like to encourage you that um, the gifts, the gifts that God's put in you through the power of the Holy Spirit, they're there to be the tools that God wants you to use. He doesn't want you to be sympathetic per se, just be, oh, they're there, that'll be great. You know, ask God to help you have insight because I believe he's put gifts in you. It is about understanding where someone's at. There is an element of that, but actually, another scripture, um, uh, Galatians 1.10. See, here's my, here's my snare. There always is a snare, if I can find it. Mm. See, the trouble is, we can sometimes try to build without upsetting anyone. Let me read you, Galatians 1.10. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God, or am I trying to please men? Doesn't sound that bad, does it, really? But actually, Paul goes on to write, if I was still trying to please men, I'd not be a servant of Christ. I'll find that, that sentence I'd like, I think, actually, that sentence shouldn't really be there. If I was still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. See, if, if my motivation in what I'm doing is to make others happy with me, my primary motivation is to do that. Actually, to be honest, if I'm trying to please them at all, it can be a snare and prevent me from doing what God wants me to do in a situation. 
So just encourage you to be aware that to be a servant of Christ means that we, we have to care more what he thinks of us than what anyone else does. And what he says, probably, is you're better than you think you are. Capability Brown. Heard of him? Garden designer. Big homes, Chatsworth, Audley End, marvellous things. It was about 200, 300 years ago, 300 years ago. And he used to go in and he would see what was there and he got his nickname because he saw capabilities. He saw things that could be that weren't. I think we need to be capability smith or we need to be capability coal. There is something which God wants to, to download to us that enables us to see beyond what is there to what God can do. And in this process of building, both the foundation and the process has to be right. So here's a peanut, it looks like a Peanuts cartoon. A guy building a, a sandcastle and it starts to rain and he says, there's a lesson to be learned somewhere, but I don't know what it is. There are things that we can do that look impressive but don't last. God doesn't want a, a quick fix. He wants us to be those that would be faithful. And, you know, we can do lots of things, but it has to flow out of the work of God. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. So we will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Then Isaiah goes on to say, Aliens will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. This is no longer just the select few that God has to do his work. He's opened the kingdom to all people who will follow him. This is an expanded kingdom. This is an expanded kingdom. We are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people, being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That's from Ephesians 2, I think it is. Up to 22. See, God has taken what were enemies in the people of God and the people of the world, and he's brought us together in Christ so that we can be joined together to become the place where he lives by his spirit. And that's something very important because it means that the presence of God is with us. So it means that when we act as a community, when we involve people in our community, we can expect the Holy Spirit to be in the midst. And we know the Holy Spirit is in our midst. And you will be called priests of the Lord. Now there are various things that priests had to go through but you know, it's no longer about what we wear, but who we are. The word for priest in the Old Testament is much more than what we probably imagine as a priest. It's someone who's a leader, someone who's a prince, actually, someone who leads others, and it's someone who serves. So God's called us priests and ministers, those who would recognize that the, the way up is down, those that will serve others, but those that will lead others, those that will uh, be servant leaders. Now this particular, it goes on to say, so you'll be called priests of the Lord and you'll be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations and in their riches you will boast. Instead of their shame, my people will receive a double portion and instead of disgrace, 
they will rejoice in their inheritance. And as I read that, well, the first thing that struck me is that sounds like a place of contentment. They will rejoice in their inheritance. Sounds like, actually, we should be able to say that the boundaries have fallen for us in pleasant places. Sounds like to me that when we talk about our community with others, it would be, there would be a, a smile on our face. Because actually, God's brought us together for a purpose, and this is a fantastic place to be. And actually, God has far more for us than we even know now. But I was particularly picked out in verse 7 that we'd no longer be shamed or disgraced. And I believe that this is something that's quite key. Because I think there are some uh, for whom the A will meet, and maybe some a bit closer to home, that for whom shame is not as unfamiliar as it ought to be. When David wrote in Psalm 69 about his own sin, he said, you know my reproach. This is verse 19 to 20. You know my reproach, my shame and my dishonor. My adversaries are all before you. Reproach has broken my heart and I'm full of heaviness. You see, there is a place when we become so aware of our unworthiness that actually it just breaks us. And a few weeks ago, we talked about when your heart's broken, where's God? God is close to the brokenhearted, always. When your heart's broken about something, when you, when you feel like you have gone so far and you, you can't do any more, your strength has run out, and you're full of heaviness. God is right behind you. And I believe these are days when God is rolling away the reproach. And I don't know what the reproach is about. I'll give you some examples of what it might be. But the reproach does not belong on the people of, people of God. God has removed it from us. As far as the east is from the west, he has removed our sin from us. Like the handkerchief with the dot on, that we just see the dot and God sees the likeness of his son. That's from a few weeks ago. Just God sees us. He sees us. He delights in us. And this heavy cloud of a, of a reproach can, can block out what God wants to say to us. We stop confessing. We stop saying the same thing about ourselves as God does. But God wants you to say the same thing about you, the same thing about you as he does. And that's what confession is. This, the, the scripture tells us that guilt is the doorway to repentance. He doesn't expect... Guilt is, is not wrong in itself. What it is, is it's, it's a doorway to something else. So when you feel bad about something, when you know you've messed up, when you've got something wrong, step through. Because that's what it's there for. We don't get everything right. I don't get everything right. I know you find that hard to believe. Sometimes Christina doesn't think I get everything right. It's terrible. I tell her, well, I must be right. Hey, don't just stay in that place of knowing that you've got something wrong. Don't stay in that place of guilt. Because what you need to do is to step through to repentance. 
which means turning around. You know, it's impossible to look at the loving Father and to sin. We can't do the two things. The moment we step into sin, we step away from him. We turn our back on him. And he's just behind us. And we can come to our senses in a pigsty. Or we can come to our senses when we're in the middle of doing a job for him in a field somewhere. But the Father is just with us all the time. And he's never left us. We need to turn to him. There are many ways and reasons why we can beat ourselves up. We can beat ourselves up because we've been not as fruitful as we feel we should have been. We've been barren. We might, we might be, it might be because... Um, literally, you've not, you, you've not managed to share the gospel. You've managed, no, no one I've ever shared the gospel with has become a Christian. Why is this? It might be literally that you're feeling bad because you're in a relationship and, and, uh, and you can't have children. And women can feel very bad about that. And so can men. But actually, that's not something that belongs to rest on you. You can feel the reproach of, of being alone. Maybe you're a, a widow or a widow or whatever. When we're left alone, sometimes it just is, it's just too much. And the lie says, you'll always be alone. But Jesus says, I've placed the lonely in families. We can get defeated. We can believe that we're losers. We can believe that, I think I might have mentioned before, but, you know, my whole university thing was quite an interesting time for me. Uh, went through university and very, very nearly didn't end up with a degree because of various things that were happening. One of them was I just wasn't very good at it. But other things, other things were just things that God was doing inside of me and were happening around me. And... Um, and I think I still struggle in some ways because actually it was just an absolute godsend. That what was so amazing, just, and I mean this literally a godsend, because I'd done that, I'd just about, I'd already decided I wanted to teach. Marvellous, isn't it? Marvellous. But that's what I wanted to do. I went to university to study my science because I wanted to do teaching when I left university. And, um, and I went to a really good university and everyone was really clever. And, and you become this... You become this kind of, uh, you know, how can I, you know, fishes and seas and big fish and little fish and all the rest of it, whatever you're going to say. But it's an interesting experience from being the top of the class to being the bottom of the class, as you felt. And um, so I went through that. And then I went to a different university to do my teacher training. I was the best. Like, absolutely the best. No dispute in my head. I was the best training teacher <laughs> in my head. No, 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 sorry. They said that as well. I had teachers coming up to me and saying, you're so good as a student teacher. And normally, when we have student teachers in, we have to work so hard. You just do it, don't you? I said, well, yeah, I do. And it was easy. And I just got on with it. And then in Christmas, at December time, bizarrely, I was looking through the Times Ed, and um, there was a job advertised for September. Well, they very rarely advertise in December for September, but anyway. I thought, oh, well, I suppose I ought to apply for a job at some point. Applied for my job. And I got my job. That was my first job. Um, and um, 
Went to the interview. Went to, obviously, I went to the interview first. Went to the interview, told them how I didn't think I was the right person for the job, said, well, if you want me to do this, this, and this, I don't want to do that. I want to just focus on teaching. Uh, and uh, they wrote me a letter saying, oh, we know you're exactly the right person that we need. Why am I telling you this? I think what I'm saying is God has a different plan from the negative view that you may have of yourself. And I was in a place of thinking that I was never going to succeed. It's kind of interesting. But actually, God had a different plan. And he allowed me to just walk straight into my first job without any battle, well early. And then actually to see me prosper in that place, actually. And, um, and God's provided everything I've needed. And... Um, so, so that thing of defeat, you're not a loser. Do you know that? God has made you to be the head, not the tail. It is possible to be victorious, even in the circumstance that other people would say was, was a loss. You know, we can reproach ourselves for, for having failed in some way morally if there's something that we know that we've messed up. And... Um, and there's a lie that comes from the enemy that says there's no hope for you if you fail in this. But actually, God intends. God intends something quite different. Let me just read you Sorry, Galatians. God intends that if someone is caught in a sin, Galatians 6.1, those who are spiritual should restore them gently, but watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. See, here's the reality. There's no temptation that ever seizes any of us that isn't common to man. That means it's common to man. It means it's part of being human. And the reality is that you may feel you're the only person who ever felt like you do. But you're not. And God's plan is that as a body of Christ, we can help one another to walk free and to be restored there's also the reproach of, of, of poverty, which I thought is a helpful thing. The, um, the lie says, if you don't have much, you're not worth much. But the reality is that God's value, the value he puts on you, is not reflected in what you have. Jesus said, don't worry about these things. That's what the rest of the world worries about. I will provide everything you need. So there's no more shame on you. We need to work through these things together. Christ has redeemed us from the cursed, having become a curse for us, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. No curse or reproach can remain with us if we stand as I founded on the finished work of Christ in us. So sometimes, these are, these are some notes which I've got on this, but um, some of these things are about, it's three R's. Do you want three R's? Steps of being free from the reproach, which is an R, isn't it, as well? That's four R's, isn't it? Reclaiming the promises of God. Isaiah 61.7 says, Instead of your shame, you will have a double honour, and instead of confusion, they will rejoice in their portion. 
Therefore, in the land they will possess double. Everlasting joy shall be theirs. That is what God has said about us. That's, that's what we need to reclaim for ourselves. Remove the shame. Once you trust in these promises, we don't need to be ashamed, because we, but we need to command the shame to go. It doesn't belong with us. God has made me new. Behold, as far as the east is from the west, he's removed my sin from me. I am making all things new, says Jesus, and that includes you. And so we can be restored, and the Holy Spirit does that. And um, he involves us in this process, this ministry, to be restored. The Lord has removed my shame, and the reproach has been rolled away. So, for it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and, us, and with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. So that's Romans 10, verses 10 to 11. God's destiny for us is not to live in shame. Instead, it's to receive a double portion. I thought about what image to have for a double portion. I thought that was a good one. It's not a place of just getting by, but it's a place of space and provision where everlasting joy will be theirs. And to me, that sounds like a place of contentment. Just have a think for a moment. Is that where you feel you are? A place of everlasting joy? Do you want to be involved in bringing others to a place of everlasting joy? I'll give you a clue. We won't get them to go to that place if we stand and say, there's a place of everlasting joy over there. You ought to go to it. I tried it, but I prefer to stay over here. We need to be where others can follow. So there's two things to this. We're talking about a double portion, a place that God brings us to. And the covenant is based on what he has done. This is um, it's actually verse 8. Just... For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and iniquity. And in my faithfulness, I will reward them and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known amongst the nations and their offspring amongst all the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. You know, our covenant, the covenant that God makes with us is based on what he has done. It's his faithfulness to us is what does it. It's not the other way around. It's not an agreement of equals. But I've got news for you. He's chosen you. He's chosen you to be his. And the Lord has sworn, and he won't change his mind. 2 Timothy 2.13. Here's some verses to help you in this. 2 Timothy 2.13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, because he can't disown himself. The Lord has sworn, and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Genesis 28. His promise. I am with you, and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised for you. 1 Samuel 15.29 He is 
He who is the glory of, glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he's not a human being that he should change his mind. Psalm 89, verse 34. I will not violate my covenant or alter what my lips have uttered. You're getting the pattern here. If God has chosen you, and by the way, let's just take the if out of that. God has chosen you, and he won't change his mind. He's chosen us not only to be us, but to have descendants. We're included in that promise that our descendants shall be as numerous as the sand on the shore. And today, of course, is a day when we're investing in those people that have been investing in our descendants, in our children. Today we're investing, right now, there are people being trained in how to bring that next generation on. But actually, in this room, we have parents. And it doesn't all happen in an hour on Sunday. Surprising enough. Seven days, 23 hours. Sorry, six days, 23 hours. It's over to us, isn't it? It's parents, you know. So, but God says, you're going to have descendants He says that you're going to be known amongst the nations. He said that we should be a light, a light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. So what does all of this mean? Well, (coughs) Isaiah 61 finishes with verses 10 and 11, and it's interesting. It does for me. See, We are seen by others. Whether you like it or not, people recognize you for being a follower of Christ. And actually, it's very important that we recognize that gift that we have. We're visible. And all who see them will acknowledge that they are a people that the Lord has blessed. The doorway to this position is thankfulness. Verses 10 and 11 say, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. It's like Isaiah has been writing all of this stuff down and he suddenly thinks, do you know what, I can't write anymore. I've just got to, I've just got to have a moment. And he's saying, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He's arrayed me in a robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up, and the garden causes the seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. So yeah, we're builders, but it's the Lord that's building. We're building on his behalf, We're building with him. We're building with the work of the Spirit in us. But the Sovereign Lord, the Sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. Just in that last couple of sentences, how's he going to do that? What does that mean? What righteousness and praise could possibly spring up before all nations? He's talking about us again. Yeah? Do you get that? This, this righteousness and praise thing is not something that's out in a cloud somewhere. That suddenly people are going to walk along the road and suddenly there's going to be this word praise. 
wobbling past them in the air. Or, or maybe they go to the bank, and above the bank as they go in, it says righteousness. It's probably quite unlikely, but you know, that's not what it's about. It's about, it's about you and me. Because remember, we're the ones that are visible. We're the ones that God has made visible. And um, I believe that God has for us in these verses been outlining something of a place he wants us to get to, a place he has brought us to, and a purpose for what is to come. So just just like, let's just uh, take a few moments just to reflect. Father, thank you that you've been speaking to us. But we want to get everything that you have for us in these days. We don't want to see this as being someone else's job. We want to see this ministry as being something that you have called us to together. And Father, we ask you to to stir up our hearts that this righteousness and praise that your word speaks of, that it would just spring up, that it would spring up in our places of work, that it would spring up in the places we study, that it would spring up in our homes, that it would spring up in our streets, that it would spring up through us. Father, thank you that you are rolling away the reproach. There is no, there is no accusation the enemy can, can hold against us. That you have placed us in this body to have no shame. To stand free from sin. Father, help us to grab hold of that promise now. Lord, we renounce any, any shame that there is in us. We renounce it in the name of Jesus. We say that, Jesus, your work is enough. That you paid the price. That you are taking our sin away. And you're making all things new. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness to us. I thought, I thought what we might do is uh, I'd like to, I think it's about thanksgiving, partly. I think there may be things that people want to be prayed for. We want to finish at half past. But I thought it might be an idea to just... What are the things that God's stirred up to you when we've been looking at Isaiah 61? What are the things that have stirred up for you that you say, you know, I want that? Turn to the person next to you and confess it. So what? anything that people want to shout out that uh, they want to declare about themselves? What God, what's God been saying? Yep. The place of do- overflow, the double portion. Absolutely. I want two scoops of ice cream. Definitely. Definitely. Excellent. Anything else? Well, I don't know what you were all talking about. What were you having for lunch? Is it chicken? Did you remember to put the chicken? Ah, yes. Great. To say about myself what God says about me. So make my confession what he says about me. That's right. It doesn't have to be from what I was saying today, although that's fine. 
I'm thinking about the Isaiah stuff generally. Good. Okay. Well, go on then, Leone. You can rescue me. Yes. So people would come to the light. See, here, let me just... I'm just going to... Go on, Teresa. Right, well, that's definitely something that we're going we're gonna to pray into that, exactly that, at the end. So we'll pick that up, Teresa. Yep, yep. See, that we could be able to say and know... Just 61.1, look at this. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. He's on me. He's in me. Because the Lord has anointed me. He's anointed you. Regardless of where you've come from, this is where he's brought you to. A place of being filled with his Spirit. A place of being anointed by him. To know that we've been sent by him. And I think that for some, you're still struggling to believe that these verses could be about you. I started off by saying, when I first started sharing this, that I was very happy with saying this was about Jesus. But I found it harder to say it was about me. This is what Jesus says about himself, but it's what he says about those he has anointed, the Christed ones. You are the church, the Christed ones. You are the ones that he now uses. You are his hands, you are his feet. God has anointed you to preach good news to the poor, to set the captives free, to proclaim release for those who are prisoners in darkness. Now, I would be remiss if I wasn't saying at this point, you might feel like you're in darkness now. What does God require of me to do if you're in darkness? Actually, I use the word me. What does God require us to do if there are those amongst us in darkness? I'll give you a clue. It's in the Bible. It's in chapter 61. As an encouragement is to proclaim freedom. To proclaim freedom. To proclaim freedom. Proclaim freedom. Well, I suppose you might be free. To proclaim freedom! Freedom! For those who are in darkness. I don't want to be hyping something up, but I believe there is a, is a pressure here, something that is holding us down, brothers and sisters. This is God's word to us. I don't, want to be, I don't want to be saying this to you and you thinking, that's nice. Brothers and sisters, we're talking about darkness to light. We're talking about hope for those in despair. We're talking about freedom for those who are, in, who are captive and bound up. We're talking about people that have lived with shame for years, but standing free and knowing that God has chosen them. What a higher place, what a higher call can there be? So Father, we ask you now, just now, move amongst us. We're going we're gonna to ask you, Lord, we're asking you, Lord, to move amongst you, your people, by the power of your Spirit. Lord, where we are 
unable to respond. Whatever it is, there is a there is a something that we know here, but it's something that needs to sink to our hearts. Lord, let your word go that extra 12 inches from our heads to our hearts that we would know in our hearts that you have set captives free, that you have released prisoners from darkness, and that you've sent us to be part of your ministry, to be your ministry on the earth. Thank you, Father, for your goodness and faithfulness. This is a covenant not based on us that we should boast This is based entirely on what you have done. Thank you, Lord, for your grace, your mercy and favour. Hallelujah.